Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kisson. And this is the show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a grooming gang survivor, Dr. Ella Hill. Welcome to Trigonometry. Thank you very much for having me. It is a pleasure to have you here. For just for people watching who know us as kind of jokey and bantery, given the subject matter, we're not going to do that too much today, even though we banter with you off the screen and, and, yeah, yeah. and you enjoy that and we enjoy that. But just yeah. for, we've got to do justice to what we're talking about. So for people who don't know your story, and maybe we have a lot of people from all over the world watching as well, uh, they don't know what grooming gangs are. They, for some people haven't heard it. And, and actually, I don't even like that term particularly because I think it conceals what these things really are. Mm-hmm. So t- tell us first of all what they are and then we'll get into your own story uh, after that. Okay. Um, well, I have my own definition of grooming gang crime mm-hmm. and it's something that I'm hoping that more people will accept as, a, as an accepted definition because it's a culturally agreed um, idea of you know, what comes to mind when people say grooming gangs, mm-hmm. uh, that it's a racially and religiously aggravated rape and a group or network based rape um, very often of underage girls but it can be older girls girls as well and young women and where does it mainly happen because the the words or the, the name of the town that is most commonly associated with it is Rotherham is it just in the north or does it happen all over the UK well it's all over the UK there's lots of different towns now that have been named as being involved so there's you know there's Burnley Blackburn you know there's Oxford mm. um, really there's very few big major cities that haven't had some sort of grooming gang, gang scandal. Um, and the numbers now, estimated over the last 40 years, possibly half a million victims. Half a million? Half a million victims over the last 40 years. Yeah. Right, okay. And they're predominantly white victims and the perpetrators are predominantly Asian Muslim. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. So we're not yeah. going to shy away from that mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, half a million? Yeah. That's... I, I, my jaw is slightly agape, and I think I, I, no I one wants to see that. No, 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 <laughs> no, certainly not. Um, I guess the question is, if half a million girls have been abused, mm-hmm. why is there not a national scandal? Why do we not know about this? Well, it is a national scandal, and in Rotherham, there have been. Yeah, there have been numerous reports after reports that have been looking into it and highlighting this type of crime. And uh, there's been National Crime Agency have been doing an investigation of historic cases over the past 15 years. Um, and they've reopened a lot of cases and looked to bringing perpetrators to justice. And I think maybe about 20, 25 perpetrators have been brought to justice in Rotherham, but there's over... A thousand under investigation by the National Crime Agency in Operation Stovewood itself. Okay, well, let, let's get into that. But uh, before we do, I, as I said, I think it's important we get your your own story. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you were a victim of uh, of one of these gangs in Rotherham. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just talk us through it. Okay. Well, um, I'll just say my background a little bit as well first. Of course, that, you know, of course. I'm, I'm a medical doctor. I'm a mum. You know, my my um, story started over 20 years ago. Um, you know, I was I was targeted as a t- in my late teens. Um, so I had a Pakistani Muslim boyfriend, and um, that led on within a few weeks to becoming a very controlling, obsessive, um, religiously charged 
relationship and then been taken to different houses, different flats above takeaways around the area, Rotherham, Sheffield, Bradford, um, to be raped, beaten, strangled, suffocated, tortured, um, almost drowned to death, suffocated to death, um, you know, really, really brutally harmed, you know, covered in bruises most of the time, and that lasted over a year. So, so that is so your experience lasted collectively over a year, yeah, essentially. Yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, the next question I'm going to ask is, how did you possibly get out of that awful situation? Um, well, I tried to escape. I tried to get away. Um, a lot of it, I was hiding from my parents because I was very, very scared that they were going to get killed. Because I was, you know, there were threats to kill my parents, mm. threats to kill me. Um, and but I did try and move, try to get away, and my perpetrator just found me very easily um, stalked stalk me basically to find me and um, broke into my house and trashed the house and um, planned an honour killing which he persuaded some of his friends to join in with um, and I survived an attempted honour killing um, with multiple lacerations and fractures and then I was in hospital for over a week mm. Um, at that point, the police told my parents to move me away and change my name, mm. which is what they did, and that's how I got out of it. And with this uh, horrible situation lasting, I mean, I mean, a year is a long time anyway, but a year of of that kind yeah. of thing is is a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, did you approach the police? Or? Yeah, yeah, I went to the police five times, at okay. least five and times, what five or six times. Um, they just said, there's nothing we can do about it. What? There's nothing we can do about it. Those are their exact words. Well, I, 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 you, so you, um, did, I mean, were you explicit in what yeah, you told them? So yeah, you said really, I'm being really, raped by this guy. I described really horrific, horrific things. And they just said there's nothing we can do about it. Did they offer an explanation as to why there was nothing? Well, I said, I, I'm sure these are crimes. You know, I was a teenager at the time, but I didn't know that these were crimes. Um, I wasn't sure that it was rape, even though my perpetrator said, we were, we're going to gang rape you, we're raping you. Yeah, they used the word rape, but I wasn't sure that it was because I didn't know because he was my boyfriend. Mm. Um, so I didn't really understand what the law was around that. But um, Well, the police should have understood. The, the police should have understood, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you go to them repeatedly and, yeah. they, uh, and yeah. every time this is what they say. They say nothing, nothing you can do about it, yeah. Why do you think that was? Um, culture at the time. Mm. At the time, there was a culture of inaction. I think that was what the review found that within the police at the time, there was a culture of inaction. Motivated by what? Um, partly by the belief that it's your word against theirs in a lot of sexual crime. Mm. That, you know, how do you prove what went on in a room where there were no other witnesses um, and where the people are denying what you say happened? But sh- surely, Ella, there were physical. You described physical yeah. lacerations to your body when, yeah, when yeah. there is a crime of that nature. Mm-hmm, there are mm-hmm. there is damage that is inflicted yeah, yeah. upon the body. Yeah, yeah, I did. You know, I've still got scars from lacerations, and um, you know, it's all documented. The fractures are, all had X-rays. So it's all documented in the medical notes. You know, I've read my medical notes, and the nurse says, you know, this this patient says that her ex-boyfriend has tried to kill her five times. And that he's tried to kill her, um, so it's all in the, it's all documented. And the when I heard about the um, 
the J report in 2014. That's mm. when I re-reported it to the police because I, I well, I didn't re-report it. Sorry, I made a complaint to the IPCC, the Independent Police Complaints Commission, which is now the IOPC, um, the Independent Office of Police Complaints, I think. Mm. Mm. Um, so they investigated it and they found that there was gross negligence but they couldn't prosecute or take any disciplinary action against the police officers because they said they couldn't identify the names of the police officers or that they'd already retired. Why couldn't they identify the names of the police officers? Missing notes. Oh, convenient. Mm. I, I think, you know, we've prepared for this interview. Mm. We, we've talked to you in advance. We've, yeah, we've yeah. listened to your previous interviews. We've read about it. We've read your articles. You've written some really excellent articles, including one for The Independent. But the stuff you're saying, you're saying it to our faces now, and mm. I, I, I literally cannot believe the things you're telling me. Mm. You went to the police five times yeah. with physical wounds and evidence mm. saying that this man was abusing you in this way, and the police said there's nothing we can do. Like, I, I don't think there's anyone who's listening to this or watching this mm. who could c conceive of that being true, even though we know that it is. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Yeah. I, it just—it's. I mean, it's look, shocking, and it's I, shocking. I was I was absolutely gob, gobsmacked. <laughs> I think mm. that's the word I use. I was gobsmacked to hear the police telling me there's nothing we can do about it. Not even question the perpetrator. Not even, you know, take photographic evidence or anything. Right. So I, I was gobsmacked to to hear that there's there's no, they felt completely powerless. Mm. And now I think over the years I've learned a lot more about what is happening behind the scenes with the education and police force mm. with um the way that the police have been restricted and limited in what they can do so i do understand a lot more of why those decisions were made at that time okay tell yeah. us about that well <laughs> um uh a lot of it's to do with race and religion which a lot of people don't really like talking about and they don't like to hear it um, but this is why I'm. I feel um, compelled to talk about what's happened and what is still happening, um, because people need to hear it from survivors that these are racially and religiously aggravated crimes. That when I was being beaten, I was being called a white slag, a white whore, a white cunt. That over and over again, the references to my whiteness was always at the forefront of my perpetrator's mind. And that that was always linked in with religion and his idea of what a good Muslim was and a bad non-Muslim was, or a, a good believer and a bad unbeliever. Even though I was a Christian, even though I have my faith in God, I pray. You know, I, I believe you know, in heaven and hell. I believe in good and bad, um, good and evil. So, but in the minds of these grooming gangs, um, if you're not covered down to your ankles, down to your wrists, if the hem of your top doesn't cover to your knees, then you're asking to be raped. Or, um, you know, if you're, if you're not washing in the way that you should wash as a Muslim, if you're not, you know, if you're eating pork, you're unclean, you're dirty. If you use a knife and fork, you're dirty. Mm. If you don't eat your food with your hands, sounds like I couldn't never quite understand that. It's the opposite way around. Mm. But, um, so there's lots of, lots of narratives within these grooming gangs which make um, hatred of white people a justification for what they're doing. And also scriptural things like, you know, we're allowed to do this, we're permitted to do this to you once you've started your periods. So we can't do it to you. And before you've started your periods, we have to do thighing, which is another type of 
sexual molestation, um, which doesn't involve penetration. Okay. So, I mean, it's just a lot to take in, what you've just explained. Yeah. Um, and I remember talking to you before the interview started in that, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that the police don't see this as a race crime or a race-based crime. Could you explain, maybe if I'm wrong, if I am, and just go into it a little bit well, further? What, how the police have been trained for a long time is to preserve interracial relations, to um, not raise any racial hatred, to not accuse people of, um, of, of doing something in the name of religion which could cause anti-Muslim prejudice or anti-Islamic prejudice. So this is the way that police have been trained for a long, long time, years and years and years. Um, so they're looking at it from completely the wrong way around. They're looking at it from a perpetrator's perspective rather than from the victim's perspective where a victim has been a victim of identity-based violence, where they've been attacked because of their race and they've been attacked because of their religious status, which is a non-Muslim or Christian or Sikh or Hindu or Buddhist or whatever, um, whatever it is that the perpetrators feel is the religious justification for that person deserving punishment. Wow. And so simply they can't, they won't, they refuse to acknowledge it as a race-based crime, even though you've given them evidence of it, even though yeah. the, the part of the reason they, they committed these unspeakably awful yeah. acts upon you yeah. was because the fact that you were white and therefore they felt emboldened and empowered to do that yeah. because, yeah. and they still won't. No, I think the way that the system is, has been set up, mm. it um, has been set up to have protected groups and white people and non-Muslim people are not a protected group according to the, I mean, these are current police guidelines for hate crimes. Um, so certain protected groups like Muslims, immigrants, refugees, Jews. I'm fine then. Trans. Yeah. You're safe. I'm safe. <laughs> You're safe, uh, Constantine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, yes, I'm trans. I'm coming out on, on this particular episode of the show. <laughs> And you're a minority as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mixed race. Mixed race. Yeah, yeah, half Latin American. He's gammon, look at Yeah, him. yeah, it's all gammon. This is 100% pure Brexit. <laughs> I think you're both cancelled by now. Yeah, really. yes, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if uh, you're still protected. Yeah. I'm not sure. But, but I get your point. There's lots of groups that are protected under yeah. this categorization. Yeah, yeah. But but white people are not. And you're saying that's current guidelines. There's current guidelines. So, so let me put it very pointedly to you. If what happened to you... Mm-hmm. was to happen to another young woman today. Yeah. And she went to the police mm-hmm. and said, this is what's happening to me. Yeah. And I think it's because I'm white. Yeah. They would still behave in, in a similar way. Some police forces, they would not record that as a hate crime. But in some police forces, I mean, people think, oh, Met Police is the whole of the UK. It isn't. That's no. just one police force. And there's, I think it's 23 or 25 different police forces all over the UK. And they all have different management structures and training systems mm. um it's all overseen by the college of policing but you know there's a slight different culture in each t- in, in each part of the country mm. so so some of them probably are recording anti-white hate crimes now um but looking at last year's hate crime statistics there was none that we haven't got any hate crime statistics for anti-white hate crime okay. we haven't got any hate crime statistics for anti-western hate crime mm. and i would say that 
when we talk about anti-Western hate crime, anti-white hate crime, we need to include the anti-Western as well because now we are getting, well, we always have had the the brown people who are being attacked for being too white. Mm. So they're being called coconuts, they're being called Uncle Toms, you know, the black people who don't fit in with the specific cultural belief of what they should be for being black, mm. you know, according to certain groups. You've just described every, every ethnic minority guest <laughs> on trigonometry, <laughs> yeah. as you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. pretty much. So, uh, but look, I, I want to balance this up a little bit just in terms of I, I want people to know about you, which I know about you, that you're not someone who's driven by antipathy towards other groups of people, even mm. even even mm. Muslims, which frankly, you know, you'd be forgiven for, even if mm-hmm. even if it's not accurate to say that this is all Muslims. People, I think, would understand if you had some kind of antipathy, yeah, but you yeah. don't, which is incredible. Not to at me. all, not at all. I mean, for my Christian faith, my very strong belief is love your enemy. So love your enemy, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who spitefully use you. Mm. So that is what I fall back on again and again, and it's been a chosen decision mm. that. You know, these people who have made me their enemy or they are my enemy, they're attacking me and they're, they're identifying me as an enemy that they have to harm. Um, I, I will not hate them. I will not hate all Muslims, not at all. In fact, I will love them. Mm. I, will, I will make a determined choice to love them yeah. <laughs> and for them to be my friends and for me to, you know, cook meals for my friends and, mm. you know, take care of them, look after them, check on their kids, their families, everything. Um, I, w- I will not be driven to hate anybody because of their colour of their skin or their background or their race or religion, age, gender, sexuality. You know, that, that I think is really part of, it's part of my faith. Mm. Which is incredible. I mean, it's 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 so powerful. The fact that it's considering the 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 extremities of your experiences, the Mm -hmm. fact that you would then make a concerted effort to make that choice is, you know, it's it's phenomenal, really. It's been quite easy, (laughs) I have to say, because I've met some absolutely wonderful people. Like in my career, training as a doctor through medical school, Mm. through working in hospitals. Just absolutely fantastic. Like my friends, there's Nepalese, Thai, um, Chinese, um, Lebanese, Iraqi, Indian, Sri Lankan. These are my close, close, close best friends that I've had for years and years. So um, it hasn't been hard to love them <laughs> at all, to be fair. Um, and my Pakistani friends as well. You know, I've, the main charity that I support is a Pakistani. It's in Pakistan. It's a Christian charity. And then that's through my friends in the church. Um, but for me, it gives me peace to, to love people, um, no matter what. That gives me peace. So when I see like this Black Lives Movement, and I see a lot of the people on the streets, and they've got injustice, and injustice is horrible, and racism is horrible. To be a victim of any kind of identity-based violence is devastating. And if it's been perpetuated through generation after generation, you know, or it's been ingrained in your schooling or, you know, you've, you've experienced it on the street throughout years. That is awful. You know, it's very traumatising and it can be compacted by lots of historical things as well. Um, so I, th- I do think identity-based violence is, is terrible. Mm. Um, but for these Black Lives Matter people to go through the streets chanting, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace, what I'm seeing is a perpetuation of no peace. 
and the only way that the justice has been offered to them is through what appears to be revenge at the yeah. moment. You're absolutely right. The reason I bring up this point is I think, let's just be straight about it. A lot of people feel that the issue of identity has become very toxic. Mm-hmm. And you know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people feel, and this is because, of course, as you can, I think you'd agree, mm-hmm. identity politics for minorities has now pushed a lot of people into a corner where, where some people are starting to go, well, what about my identity as a mm-hmm. straight white man or whatever whatever it might be, or a mm-hmm. straight white woman or whatever. And so to talk about anti-white hate crime, yeah. to a lot of people that, that triggers their inner alarm bells of mm-hmm. you're in dangerous waters here. Yeah. And a lot of people now confuse the sort of thing that you're talking about, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. you know, based on the way that you describe it, is undoubtedly mm-hmm. an anti-white or anti-Western yeah, hate yeah. crime. They confuse a complaint about that, which is perfectly mm-hmm. legitimate, with an attempt to smear people, mm-hmm. with an attempt to attack minorities, with an attempt to uh, to be racist. Yeah. And in one of your previous interviews, you talked about the fact that even your parents were mm-hmm. worried about speaking out and yeah. getting justice and getting you out of that horrific situation yeah. because your parents were worried. They are they would still. Be, they're still worried yeah. about being called being racist. Called racist. Yeah. Now, I just ask everybody who's listening to this or everybody who's watching this to imagine mm-hmm. that this is happening to your child mm-hmm. and the concern you have about being called racist is so strong yeah. that it gets in the way of you protecting your child. Yeah. How how terrified must you be? Mm-hmm. What kind of culture you must live in to be so scared about that? It's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, nobody is safe. Victims are not safe. It's been a safeguarding disaster, I would say. Mm-hmm. The fact that we're not being protected from being falsely accused of being racist, Nazis, fascists, gammons. <laughs> I like you said that to me. <laughs> I did look at you when yeah. I said that. <laughs> and also you directed the enemy's bit to me as well. I, I saw that as well. Ella's oh, worked at all out. She, she, gave us some, she gave us two boxes of chocolates before the show started. She gave Francis the pink one and me the blue one. So she's very perceptive. I'm white, so I can call you gammon. Okay. I can get away with it. So white, I'm white. Crying, Ella. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I know but we shouldn't laugh. I mean, yeah. I, I'd, I've been, you know, I've been on Twitter now for like four or five months mm. and through lockdown and I've seen how bad it's getting on there. And actually I've recently left because it's, it's not, it's no longer safe for me on there. Yeah. Um, the anti-fascist activists and mm. um, the online activists are really, really vicious and really scary. You know, they're, they're doxing people. They've doxed two of my friends. They've put their names and addresses online. They wow. put the kids photographs online they're harming their children um you know they've hacked into people's accounts not me personally but i've seen it happen to other people and you know it's the safety concerns are getting too high now especially when you see all the anti-white ta- attacks you know all the videos that have been coming out in the last few weeks um it's horrible just so, for, again for people yeah because most people who may be watching this they may not be familiar with what you're talking about mm-hmm. so let's just be clear if I was an ordinary person listening to this interview, I would say, well, of course, Ella is going to be a threat because the the Muslims mm. who who may have been involved yeah. in those grooming gangs mm. may want revenge on her for mm. speaking out or mm-hmm. for getting them prosecuted, etc. But you're actually saying, that you're shaking your head and people yeah. might not be able to see. <laughs> the, the threats that are coming to you and the people, you, you know, you were worried about coming here 
today. I was scared to come here. You today. were scared to come here today, and you were scared. I'm Antifa. I just want to take a moment for people to think about that. Mm. You're scared because the people on the far left, which is who Antifa is, who are caring, compassionate, and care about victims and minorities and oppressed people, uh, they are the people you're worried about. Yeah, yeah. The anti-fascists. The anti-fascists, yeah. Okay. A grooming gang survivor is worried about anti-fascists. And our family members are very scared of them. And, you know, it's it's so out of hand at the moment. It's just really, really dangerous for people. I mean, people are scared to have a Union Jack in the garden. They're scared to, um, you know, support England in football. They're scared to go out and show any white skin. (laughs) You know, walking on the street, you know, they'll cover up every single part of them to hide their whiteness. People are really, really worried at the moment. It's it's very dangerous because the attacks are really bad. But um, online, the I just wanted to come back to the gammon thing mm, <laughs> because yeah. um, you know I get called a Nazi, I get called a fascist, I get called a bigot, I get called an enemy of Islam, which is all lies. I'm not any of those things at all. You know, I'm not anti-Islam. I'm not anti-Muslim. I'm anti-spiritual abuse, if anything. But one of the things that really hurts is being called gammon. And the amount of times that people will say, oh, you're gammon, you're gammon. They'll send me memes, different memes of meat rolling down, you know, meat, meat rolling down a hill, you know, different pictures of pink men. <laughs> <laughs> we said at the start that there's not going to be any humour in it. <laughs> but, you know, you know, the... the, the yeah, the, my, the nickname they have for me is Baz, Barry Gammon. You know, they stereotype this pink mm. tattooed, overweight, bald headed, you know, typical northern Brit. Brit. Mm. Um, so. At least you're not bald, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. She was going through all this checklist. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Well, he's, got, he's got the even, better hair. Even the your tattoos those. are pink. Yeah, right. they, are. they are. I got told by a dermatologist in Venezuela when yeah. my mum was worried about my skin. I know it's a digression. We went to see him. He went yeah. to her. There's nothing wrong with your child. He's just a very pink little boy. Oh, <laughs> anyway, I agree. Sorry, I agree. On. Nothing wrong with you. So anyway, but yeah, the pink meat thing is, mm. you know, we're, we're called easy meat. Yeah, the girls were called easy meat because we're seen as being an easy target that they can they can pick pick us up and use us and throw us away really easily because we're not following the strict Muslim rules where you know Muslim girls have to be chaperoned when they go out. They you know cannot look at a man who's not the mother, oh, sorry, the brother, the father, or the husband. Um, if they look at a man in the eyes, then that means that they're asking to have sex with them. Whereas if a white girl looks at a man in a Muslim man in their eyes, then he, she's asking him to have sex with him. So these are all the things that I was taught, and you know, believe it. But so th- for all these different reasons that culturally white girls are seen as easy meat, and right. um, you know they sing, they listen to music, they like dancing, they drink alcohol. All of this is seen as deeply immoral and worthy of punishment, and the punishment is rape, beating. So, Who, uh, sorry, Ellie, just yeah, to. Yeah. Who, you say they're taught this. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't read the Quran 
nearly thoroughly enough to no, be able to, no. to speculate about that. But are you saying they're taught that by religious scholars? They taught on... it within grooming gang circles. Oh, okay. Mm. So, okay. So, so this is why I want yeah. to delineate. This yes. is, we're not saying that Muslims are taught this. You're no, saying thank people you in grooming gangs. That up. This yeah. is what I would say... call grooming gang ideology. Yes. Okay. Like you'd say jihadi ideology, right. which is different to mainstream Muslim ideology yeah. or mainstream Muslim belief. And actually there's a whole spectrum of beliefs from really, really helpful to loving your neighbour, taking care of the sick, taking care of mm. your children, protecting your family, and then right across the other end of the spectrum, which is really, really harmful, which is, you know, bombing people, yeah. um, the 9-11 bombings, the 7-7 bombings, you know, Manchester Arena bombing, and, you know, punishing people for what is perceived to be a spiritual flaw or religious digression. Right. Um, honor killings is included in that so yeah. there's a whole spectrum of beliefs and you get that spectrum within any faith group um, when it comes to grooming gang crime there's like five main areas so it's virginity, purity, modesty obedience and marriage so I will talk about all the different you know but before you do who teaches them this this is what I'm trying it's to get word, at word of mouth from one person to the next person to the next so all the generations yeah. are training younger generations yeah. in this yeah. stuff yeah. Okay. And is it, does it reside in one particular type of community, or is it spread across a lot of communities who who follow Islam? Or is well, it... we don't know. I don't know. I think there may be some research that's gone into that, mm. but this this isn't something that I know much about. I don't okay. know much about the different divisions, um, and I would say that this is a, this is spiritual abuse. And even in Pakistan, there's a law against using religious scriptures to harm people or to use it to exploit people. Um, Sort of misusing the scriptures, if you like, is is illegal in Pakistan. Um, people can get prosecuted for that. And in fact, the types of gang rapes that you see here that are happening in Pakistan have been prosecuted as terrorist terrorist attacks. In Pakistan. In Pakistan, mm. yeah. But not here. No, not yet. <laughs> and it, they should be. They very much should be. And rape should be an act of terrorism. Um, and it should be included. And when when police are documenting evidence, they should put on there whether. This person has links to terrorist groups overseas, whether they're a returning foreign fighter, whether they are, you know, part of some larger network, which is known as a prescribed terrorist group. So you know, it, it definitely needs to be treated like that mm. now. Yeah. And, and you were talking about your experiences, which happened 20 years ago. Mm. Are we doing enough at the moment to protect young, vulnerable girls? Uh, well, that's a whole different thing. And of course, you know, there are lots of perpetrators who are not Pakistani Muslim mm. or Iraqi or Afghan, you know, these types of gangs. Um, you know, there's lots of white pedophiles, there's a lot of online grooming. Mm. Um, the, you know, we're not detracting from those types of offences by talking about one specific type of offence. Um, so one of the reasons that I've been told to shut up for the sake of diversity. Which is a quote from a Labour MP. Well, not from her directly. She she so, liked and retweeted right. a tweet. And, and she has since said that she did that as a mistake. Oh, okay. She didn't mean to do it. Um, well, anyway, it, it, it happened. And <laughs> she's not been allowed to forget it. Mm. But... You know, we've been told to be quiet for diversity for all sorts of different reasons. You know, there are lots of different categories of, of sexual offenders. Um, some of them use a completely different model. They don't use the grooming technique, or if they do grooming, there's something called Bernardo's grooming line, which is four main stages of like a targeting stage where they identify a victim, and then a friendship stage where they kind of get to know the victim. They get to know maybe they like 
puppies or they like kittens or they like and then they, they'll like football so they'll give them treats and presents in the line of whatever they like and then there's like the romantic relationship stage where it goes into a boyfriend girlfriend and this can be like 20 years age gap difference um mine was roughly 15 years and then it'll go into um the abusive relationship stage so that's the grooming line that's why they call it grooming <clears throat> it's nothing to do with like shaving and <laughs> having a haircut and stuff mm. But yeah, there's, there's all sorts of different categories and different types of sexual exploitation and that are recognised within this, the services. Um, and just because you, so it, I, I compare it to medicine. So if you've got a cardiac unit, it doesn't mean you, you don't care about the renal unit, mm. but you treat renal patients with a, a different way. You know, the, the way you need to treat those types of diseases is different and the way that you need to combat it is different to the way that you need to combat cardiac disease. Yeah, you know, and and, and so there, there are different specialisms, and you can't say we're, we're taking resources from one or the other. You know, you want to treat all of it, and yes, it's all within the umbrella of a big hospital, or it's all within under the umbrella of child safeguarding. But um, there are different approaches that are needed for each different type. So that's what I try to do: try to explain to people when we're talking about grooming gang crime, we're not. Um, you know, people very quickly want to say, well, all races and religions, you know, victims that are of all races and religions, and we shouldn't be racist, so you shouldn't be biased, you shouldn't racialise the issue. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if it is a racially and religiously aggravated crime, that needs to be dealt with in a slightly different way. And if it's linked to terrorism and drug trafficking and, you know, human trafficking abroad or <clears throat> all sorts of other, you know, crime networks, then that's that that may need to be dealt with on a different level to you know uncle fred who's mm. fiddling with his you know nephew or whatever it's just it's a different type of approach needed completely i suppose what you were getting at though mate was whether ella you think that lessons have been learned from the experiences of people like you and other survivors mm. so that it wouldn't couldn't happen again in the, in the present time in terms of the big umbrella, I think the funding has massively increased. The understanding is massively increased. So like young girls under the age of 16 are not being called child prostitutes anymore. Mm, right. but they're being recognised as being victims, whereas they weren't for a long time. You know, the police would very often do the victim blaming alongside the perpetrators for doing the victim blaming, mm. saying, oh, she was drunk, she was wearing a mini skirt, she was asking for it, which is basically repeating grooming gang ideology and, and ticking off the box, you know, refer to counselling that's job done and but that doesn't happen so much anymore and I think there's a huge investment going on and I've been involved in training um, professionals about safeguarding children so um you know been involved in a lot of these discussions this thing has been developing over the last few years so and that has been improving but again that is an overall improvement in terms of the specialist area again We'll wait and see what's going to come out and what the outcomes are going to be from the um, grooming review from the Home Office to see if there is going to be any specialist provision. Because what the police even have been asking for is a specialist centralised national unit. Um, because these drugs, I'm sorry, the, the human trafficking is going on between county lines, they call it, where it's across borders. So from one major city to the next, you know, a girl can be moved around a lot and have perpetrators in lots of different areas and it's very very complex so for a police force police force point of view to have a centralized grooming gang unit w would be beneficial 
Now, um, what about the culture? Because, you know, when we talked about your parents being scared, mm, right? Mm. Uh, and, you know, us being scared to talk about it, you mm. being attacked. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that the culture that allowed that to happen, mm. the culture of you can't be racist against white people, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, the culture of you must be careful not to offend different ethnic groups by telling the truth about what's happening, mm. uh, that culture... Do you feel that we've made enough progress on those things? I'm shocked at how bad it is. It, it's it's definitely gone the other way. You think it's got worse? It's definitely got worse. I mean, just this last few weeks, I've been really traumatised, actually, really re-traumatised because, you know, when you've gone through racist abuse and to not have that acknowledged and then to be told that you're racist for reporting a racist abuse... It's another le level of injustice and to never get justice and and then to almost be prosecuted for, for speaking out about it. You're feeling that you're a threat of being prosecuted for speaking out. And to see now, you know, I've, I do watch um, James, James Lindsay's mm. Twitter feeds and all, all the information that's coming out about the, you know, a lot of it is feminist academics, um, intersectionist feminism, which has been a massive spanner in the works you know because these theories are being put forward about you know the theories of whiteness the theories of white women's tears the theories of um that white people cannot experience racism because they've not historically been oppressed mm. so you know a few months ago i was reporting tweets to twitter saying these are anti-white racist tweets and i got the report back saying no that it doesn't breached the guidelines, Twitter's guidelines. So then I reported it again to another hate organisation and they contacted Twitter and came back with the reply that um, we don't remove any anti-white tweets because white people have not been historically marginalised or oppressed. So they're doing on Twitter what the police did 20 years ago. With what, the, what the police essentially are being taught still. 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 Yeah. Still. In some, uh, in some forces, yeah. And we, uh, yeah, that it doesn't exist, essentially. And it goes back to that retweet, shut up for the sake of diversity. Mm. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're, we've been told to shut up for the sake of diversity? Yeah. Mm. And, and, and how many, well, we can see it through Twitter. Do you think it's in every aspect of our life where we're suddenly felt because of... I think the, the Black, Lives, Black Lives Matter movement is frightening to me because, A, I was forced to to bend the knee. I was forced to kneel down and kiss my perpetrator's feet. I was forced to, you know, literally bend the knee, to <laughs> literally kneel at his feet mm. um, as part of the abuse that I was received. And I know that other other victims have as well from Rotherham. I heard of one girl who was forced to kneel down. She was raped by dozens of men. She was forced to lick their feet clean because she's white trash. In their mind, she's white trash. That's That's... They, they're so morally superior to her that they believe that they are... It's, it's the Muslim superiority thing, that they believe that they have maximum moral authority to, to command um, the people beneath them to do, to do that, to lick their feet. So when I see the footballers kneeling and when I see you know, leading politicians kneeling, to me they're... I'm seeing them kneeling to my perpetrators and it breaks my heart. You know, I, f I feel scared. I feel really scared that if if this is what the police officers are doing, they're kneeling 
and I, I understand that for them, it may they may feel that they're showing honor, and and that is another thing in Pakistani culture. To if a man kneels at his mother's feet and kisses his mother's feet, he's showing honor and elevation, and he's showing how precious she is to him, and that's that is another interpretation. But um, it's also an act of subjugation to force someone to kneel. I will make you kneel. You know that kind of, you know, you will be my slave kind of thing. Well, just just to be clear, I mean, there is some argument there, uh, and I think it's important to say this that it started with Colin Kaepernick taking the knee, yeah, uh, and so some of the people who who were taking the knee, particularly in the American context, where the idea of being knighted or uh, yeah. other things didn't yeah, exist, yeah. it was more a sign of solidarity yeah. than it was of 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 submission, mm-hmm. if you like. Mm-hmm. The problem is, I think you very rightly say, is when you start making people kneel, mm-hmm. when you start saying, as as I'm sure would have happened if you know we were the Premier League in this country restarted a couple of weeks back. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd like to see what would have happened to a footballer who refused to kneel. I know. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where you come into what you're talking about, which is you will kneel. Yeah. You mm-hmm. must kneel. You must kneel. And that yeah. troubles. I'm sh- troubles me I'm sure you you know troubles you way more because you know what that's like and, yeah, and you know yeah, yeah. the psychological point of that it's, it's domination damaging yeah. it's damaging and it's about mm-hmm. saying you're down there I'm up here mm-hmm. so I, I can see why you feel that way I can absolutely see how you feel that mm-hmm. way um, but you, you brought up the the grooming review the grooming gang review mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. the government the home office initiated uh, they prepared a report correct me if I'm wrong at any point they prepared a report and that report was ready to be published and then was not published. Is that correct? Yeah. Do you have any insight into why it was not it was held back? Um, well, I'm one of the people who contributed to the review because I gave some training at the Home Office and, and at number 10. Mm. Um, so I kind of know what some of the information that is in there. Okay. Um, I also know about some of the research that has gone into that mm-hmm. <laughs> from one of the um, feminist academics <laughs> <laughs> who... Um, it's very concerned. You know, I know she's personally very concerned that this could be used as anti-Muslim hate, mm. that her data could be used um, and twisted and distorted to to justify anti-Muslim attacks. So whether that could be the reason why they've why they were hesitant to publish it, I'm not sure. Um, for the, for the, that particular study, that was um, looking at groups operating in networks and gangs. In the UK, there were only 50-odd perpetrators that were identified under the specific parameters of that investigation, of that paper. Um, and out of those 50-odd perpetrators, I think it was 96% were um, Asian, in inverted commas, so they were Pakistani, Muslim, um, Iraqi or Afghan mostly. Um, so again, it's a very small sample size. So to say on oh, 96% of Groomers or sexual offenders are Asian is something that if you took it as just that and didn't look at it in context and didn't look at it in terms of, you know, all the other missing data that we don't have and we don't know, and you know, all the hundreds of thousands of other cases that are not going through the police systems that are not being charged. Um, you know, we still only have a, like a 2% success rate for, um, for convictions for rape of, of any type of perpetrator, whether black, white, Brown, Asian. Um, so it's really, really low conviction rate anyway. So there's far more perpetrators than than um, that we know about convict, convicted criminals. Yeah, yeah. 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 
So, um, so we. St- but sorry, for no, so, let me just yeah. follow. Yeah. Just on 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 the review, I want to first <laughs> of all get into that. So, your suspicion, and uh, I don't want to put any words in your in your mouth. Mm-hmm. So, just tell me if any of this is incorrect. Your suspicion is that they're delaying it because they're worried mm-hmm. that some of the findings of the review would be used by people to attack Muslims. Uh, yeah, and or that they, they suspect it's inflammatory. Right. When really, I, there's no need to be, to be concerned because um, although there may be a few very extreme people who might be, be inflamed to take action and harm somebody because of that, I think most people that are aware of what the whole story now Anyway, you know, most of the people who um, who care about the, the information being made public have heard about this for a long, long time. Um, they they do believe that it's racially and religiously aggravated. Um, and, you know, with any types of crime, whether it's someone getting punched in the street or you know, graffitiing on someone's house, if there's a racial and religious aggravation element to it, they usually get a longer sentence. It could be slightly longer or in severe crimes, it can be double the sentence. So... And that's because the impact is, it's not just on that individual, it's on that whole identity group community. Um, So it is treated a lot more seriously if it is racially or religiously aggravated. Um, So I don't really see why there's a problem because when there are anti-Muslim crimes, you know, we've got organisations that give support to victims of anti-Muslim crime, that help them through the legal system, that um, help bring justice for them. And help prevent that as well. Help educate and prevent um, that through through you know teaching schools, for example. Um, and that's fine. Nobody says that that is that when we highlight anti-Muslim crime, we're provoking um, jihadi attacks or mm. you know terrorist attacks, Islamist attacks. So we shouldn't be saying it the other way around either. And Ella, what do you think are going to be the long-term implications of suppressing this report? Do you think there's going to be no, implica- uh, no implications at all? Do you well, think? they've said it's going to be released within a year. Mm. Um, we'll have to see what happens now because of, you know, COVID, political situation, the world situation, mm. um, you know, problems with protests and things at the moment could be making it a difficult time to release that type of of information but I hope it will re- be released soon and I hope they'll come up with a sensible plan which will include um, countering the far, far left extremists who've been sub- trying to suppress uh, a lot of this information trying to suppress it being dealt with properly and responsibly and, and reasonably um, and I hope that they will they will look at the spiritual aspects and, and just acknowledge that that, the, the, that there's spiritual abuse going on and why do you think, and I've seen this on Twitter a lot, people label people who talk about the grooming gangs issue as right wing. Why do we use that term to describe people who try and raise mm, yeah, this yeah. issue? Well, I'm old enough to remember the Twin Tower attacks. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of this stems from that time mm. when you know, there was a mass, it was a massive shock. I was a junior, no, I was a a medical student training in hospital and I remember I was working at A&E department and I remember patients saying to me you know pointing to the tv screen and saying you know an airplane has just flown into the one of the twin towers in New York <clears throat> and I went home and I was absolutely shaken by it, watching the live footage of the people jumping out of the building of the whole building collapsing and I don't know how many people died in it a horrific 3, number, 3, yeah, 3, 000, a horrific number of people 3, that that shook me personally because it was um, 
bringing back a lot of <coughs> the feelings that I had had being attacked, um, you know, by essentially Islamists who were religious extremists. So it brought back a lot of those feelings. And, and from that point onwards, there became this technical war on terror, um, which was to do something about all the religious extremism teaching that was going on, all the hate preaching that was going on within mosques. Um, and I think that has been successful in many ways, and it has helped to um, prevent a lot more of those kinds of things going on that could have happened. Um, and the security services have, have done that over the last 20 years. But as part of that, they've also been looking at um, far-right extremism, which is a reaction to the Islamist attacks under grooming gang crime um, and lots of other things as well. In America, it's, it's different. Um, but for here, it's, it's a lot tied up to the grooming gang issue. Uh, so when I've been to counter-extremism training and workshops and um, conferences, these two things are talked about, like it's a dichotomy, like, you know, it's the, the upper verbs versus the, the far rights and it's the Muslims versus the, the anti-Muslim, if you like. So these two groups, and they've completely ignored the far left. So if you look in the legislation, in the police guidelines, in um, counter-terrorism legislation, counter-terrorism efforts, which is a massive multi-million pound industry in, in the UK and multi-billion pound industry in, in America, multi-billion dollar, sorry, mm. in America. <laughs> um, so yeah, the... There's been this incredible experiment, which I would I would say is it's been fired up through the explosion of social media um, to reduce Islamist extremism and to reduce far right extremism, but at the expense of forgetting to think about the far left extremism. You know, that's not been a focus for, for a very long time, and um, we're seeing now what happens if you neglect to do something about that and you know the far left movements the far left anti-western movements they're anti-western but for a very different reason would you go into that a little bit so what why are they anti-west well, why are they anti-western a lot of it's coming across it seems to be coming across from america mm. from from um, american intersectional feminism mm. And uh, Ellie's not a fan of the old feminism, I notice. <laughs> <laughs> love you guys, love you guys. <laughs> I've got so many good men in my life. I just, I, I cannot agree that all men are misogynists. And, mm. you know, I cannot agree that mm. all men are part of the patriarchy. It's just, I can't, mm. you know. That's a, that's a different subject. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. With a, a, <laughs> no, you you were saying it's coming over from America, which is the, absolutely the, right. The, yeah, there's, there's been this um, very, very well intentioned in a lot of cases a movement against generations of oppression of um, police brutality towards black people i mean it's you even sit here examples of it in the uk i've got to talk about four weeks ago the two black women that were murdered in a park nearby here where we're recording um we think they're from a christian family background but we don't know if there's a religious or a racist intent to why they were murdered but um, it's possible that there was, and that is, that's under investigation by the police now. But one of the most shocking things is that police officers took selfies of themselves with the bodies of these two murdered women. And, you know, things like this 
you know, when you hear stories like that, you can see how, or you can understand how the pain of, you know, generations of being disrespected for the colour of your skin, being treated as less than human because of the colour of your skin, is, has brought up this Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. Um, because it's it's for anyone to be dehumanised, to be treated like an animal, essentially, or, or just a worthless piece of trash is totally wrong we are all valuable every one of us is valuable mm. and that's what you can't say now actually we can't say that if we um with the way that the black Lives matter movement has has now been pressed to such a degree and condensed and built up in this cauldron with you know the socialist aspect the communist aspect mm. the marxist aspect neo-marxism aspect the Islamist aspect, you know, all these different political viewpoints, but all of it anti-Western, all of it anti-white. Um, and it's just hit boiling point in this cauldron at the moment, I think. Cause with lockdown, it may have made it worse. And the kind of existential crisis of are we all going to die of coronavirus? You know, this th- sort of threat that we're all under at the moment. Um, that It's really... and and. What I see on social media is that that hasn't been silenced at all. Mm. So I know we talk about free speech, and I've moved over to Tapala now, <laughs> where it's meant to be anything goes, you can say what you like, you can be as offensive as you like, and you won't be censored. It's really civilised, it's really polite, everyone's very nice. I don't see, you know, I don't see the racist abuse. I don't see, I mean, I'm sure there is some on there, but I haven't really experienced mm. it in the last week since I've been on there. Um, whereas on Twitter, when you, you know, you've got this, it, it, it is it's more censor censorous that but it's also more abusive mm. um and the abuse is definitely directed to to anyone who's being too westernized or too is seen to be sort of um what do you call it upholding the patriarchy or in That's collusion mean, you know. <laughs> in collusion with white supremacists yeah. or, or whatever uh, the accusation and, and as you said they're, they're allowed by twitter to do it because mm. when you complain about it they they ignore yeah. it absolutely yeah. the, the, i think the issue that a lot of people have with twitter is the double standards if they had equal standards for everybody mm. and they they said look this is a non abusive platform the moment yeah, you start yeah. being abusive to people doesn't matter white, black, yellow, whatever. Yeah. You get banned, or you get blocked, or you get suspended, mm-hmm. or or equally, they could say we don't care. Every, every, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. And then if they treated everybody equally, I think people would would take it at face value, and they would go, I don't want to be on an abusive platform. Yeah. Or I'm happy to be on a censorious platform as long as it's fair. Yeah. The issue that you're raising is it's not fair. It's not fair. No. It's not balanced. It's not fair. Um, but for some people. In the Black Lives Movement, it's fair because it's been so outweighted against them for so long that yeah. they feel that for it to be outweighed against white people, it's only balanced, and that's why they would call it satire. Mm-hmm. You know, this is funny to repeatedly right. abuse someone, call them gammon, call them mm. meat, calling them, you know, because you, you, you're a colour of the skin, you're worthless, you're, you're, you're nothing better than just a piece of slab of meat. Mm. You know, that's funny. It's mm. not funny. No. Is absolutely not funny. It's very insulting. And what are the long-term implications, of, do you think, of allowing this sort of very much, very hard leftist, neo-Marxist mm-hmm. way of thinking, not, yeah. not censoring them. They can come in, they can say whatever they yeah, like, they yeah. can be verbally abusive. Mm-hmm. What do you think are the long-term implications of that? Well, history tells us it's not good. <laughs> really not good. And we look at world, different systems around the world and we learn it's really not good. Mm. 
But, you know, as I talk about identity-based violence, identity-based abuse, um, and I say that we need to we need to understand what that is and realise that we are victims of it. But I talk about free speech. Mm. <laughs> and I know there's this whole call for free speech and everything, and I'm saying, well, hold on, we need free speech, but with safe boundaries. Mm. You know, we have these speech laws for a reason. You know, we have a computer act for, to say that it's wrong to hack into people's computers and steal their data or their, their lives or their money or whatever. And it's wrong to slander people or it's wrong to libel people and it's wrong to aggressively troll people. You know, we've got these laws. They need to be applied, but they need to be applied to the far left because we've got the far right, the far left and the upper bubs. Mm. So the way that I have come to understand how these, how to explain this to people is that they will, extremists want to attack your mind your body and your spirit okay they want control over your mind your body and your spirit and we've all got a mind and a body and a spirit and the far right extremists are kind of experts in controlling and taking um, approaching you from controlling your body and controlling physical violence physical strength physical power the far Oh, sorry, the up above extremists are more interested in controlling your spirit. So they'll use, you know, they'll use guilt and shame. They'll use religious manipulation. They'll use religious scriptures to control you, to get you to do what you want, what they want you to do to serve them. And then there's the far left extremists who are experts in the mind mm. and controlling the mind. And they will attack your mind and they will do that through social media. They will do that through social norms or the, through, do it through um you know, pseudo education. Um, a lot of it is also manipulation of language. The language, That's a big yeah, part yeah, of... and they are the experts. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've heard the saying that the the devil is a lawyer. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do think of that quite often. You yeah, know, there's the skill of these people to flip things and manipulate things and get the wording and change the definition of things, like change the definition of racism to me, to mean. That all 50 different races in the world can be victims of racism, or apart, apart from one, that's white people. Mm. <laughs> it's nonsense, mm. absolute nonsense. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you, you brought up the far left, the far right, and the up above, and I think mm. most people understand uh, you know, the up above, the religious stuff mm. we, we kind of all get, I think. Yeah. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask you about as well is, it, you know, you're very sensible and reasonable and you don't want anyone to be hated or mistreated or anything like that do you feel that there's been because of maybe the lack of proper coverage of the issue of grooming gangs it has fallen onto the shoulders you might say of people who who some of whom may be leaning towards the far right let's say to speak up on that issue mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where the problem, I think, for a lot of people comes in now, which is like, yeah. oh, you're talking about grooming gangs? You must be far right. Like, mm. that's yes, the connection yeah, people often yeah. make. And you talk yeah. about how you get called all those mm. things. Do you think that's just a convenient label? Or do you think there is some truth that that was an issue that was taken up by some people who were far right? Uh, well, I think there's individual cases and individual grievances. And people who are interested in, this, in the topic of grooming gangs are very often personally affected by it. Mm. So either them or a family member has been a victim of it. Mm. And that includes the men, because there are male victims of grooming gangs as well, um, of all backgrounds and races. So whether they're, they're certain individuals have 
have exploited the issue, as it, as people would say, for personal gain. I find that wording. I find I'm uncomfortable with that particular wording of it because for people who are fighting for justice and have been fighting for justice for a very long time, um, who might be seeking funding to get justice or to be seeking funding to raise awareness, um, even if they're doing it in a not very helpful way uh, or a potentially harmful, racist or destructive way, to, to label every one of them as far right, I think you need to look at each individual case as it is. When, you, when you're looking at extremism, you know, the definition of extremism is someone who is justifying violence to um, fulfil their religious, social or political objective. Um, so that is what extremism is. And so if they're not looking for violent solutions to the problem of grooming gangs, then you can't really call them extremists far right. Um, they're probably just normal people, a lot of them. Yeah. And how much do you think young girls have been deemed expendable because they're from a working class background? As in... Yeah. I mean, it's a horrible question to mm -hmm. ask mm -hmm. because... I presume, from what I've read, this doesn't didn't apply to a lot of middle class girls. These were predominantly working class girls, yeah. vulnerable girls. So the authorities, therefore, thought not as important. There are a lot of middle class oh, okay. victims. There are because, um, believe it or not, middle class people get scared <laughs> and get okay. intimidated just as much as anybody else. So it's really not hard once the perpetrators picked a victim. They don't really care what a family are like because they know that they've got guns, they've got weapons, they've got a whole gang of violent people who are going to make threats and intimidate the girl. You know, even just threatening to kill her dog, kill her cat, you know, she's going to be scared enough to go along and do with whatever they say. Mm. Um, especially if, you know, there's part of a love element in it as well, where she feels like she's loving them and there's, there's some romantic relationship going on. But yes, you're right, there is a lot of... Um, there are a lot of victims from working class families. Um, uh, a lot of families that are living close proximity to a lot of these group groups where the gangs live. Um, it's, it's impacted them a lot harder. And you know, male family members within groups have have been through the same similar school system with similar problems with gangs you know they've they've been beaten up they've been attacked and different things and stabbed for having a muslim girlfriend and that type of you know problem which all links into the same issue or you know they've been got into drug dealing at a very young age by these gangs who use them as runners to deal drugs um whether their voices are not being heard perhaps they're not as articulate Perhaps they can't express things. Um, or perhaps people just don't want to listen to them or they're too scared to speak out. And also a lot of them do think that they are racist because the police are telling them that they're racist. You know, I heard a story a couple of weeks ago of a, of a survivor very recently who um, the police have said she can't give evidence because she's racist. Because she called her perpetrators packies mm. in the interview, in the video interview. So just saying that word and that... Saying that word has, that has, has meant that her evidence has been thrown out. And look, I mean, it's a racial slur, I, but as I said to you earlier in the interview, if you've 
gone through the experience that she's gone through, I mean, you can understand somebody might harbor some prejudice. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't put it past myself to harbor prejudice against people who targeted me on the basis of my identity, called me Jewish this and whatever, mm. right? Or in your case, white, you know. I, look, I'm not saying people should go around calling each other package. I'm not no, saying that. No. But but you, if you're the police officer in that situation, you've got to have some idea of balance in, in the yeah. situation, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. But I think, again, it's that <clears throat> it's this, if you don't, if you don't deal with the far left who are branding it's like you've been tarred and feathered. If you've been tarred and feathered as being racist, gammon, Nazi, fascist, you know, far right, mm. then you are rubbish, basically. So if you don't deal with this issue that we've got, this problem, that we've got this fake branding of people and, and demonization of white people who are raising this issue, then you're going to get people afraid to deal with it. And that does include police officers. They're going to be afraid of being tarred and feathered. The, the judiciary are going to be afraid of being tarred and feathered. So they're not going to want to touch it. You know, politicians are going to be afraid of being tarred and feathered. They're not, they're not going to want to be involved in dealing with this because it's, it's such like a hot potato at the moment. They're going to want to pass it on to somebody else. But it's an abdication of responsibility, Ella. Your job yeah. as a police officer is to investigate and yeah. to charge yeah. rapists and the people committing these awful crimes. Yeah, if and it's not hard. All they've got to do is say it's a racially and religiously aggravated rape. They are the perpetrators of the racists. Yeah, that's all they've got to do. Right, and we and we don't. And and also equally, uh, the other thing. I mean, even if you are racist, you can still be raped, right? You can be racist yeah. and be raped, <laughs> right? Those yeah. are not mutually exclusive things, yeah. right? True. So yeah. even if someone is, you know, yeah, use the word "packy." Yeah. I mean, all I mean, of this she stuff may is... have used that word because they were using that word about themselves. Right. So I don't yeah. know where she's got that from. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just listened to it, everything you're telling us and. I, I have no words. Mm. I have no words to, and I don't understand. I, I think a lot of people would feel mm. that way, mm. listening and watching. How how is this possible? How is it? Have we got to the situation? Yeah. And I suppose at some level, the question that a lot of people would be asking, and I know that you work with mm. with, with the mm. government towards it. You know, how do we solve this? Keep talking about it. Mm. You know. The, there are things that are worrying me, like these um, diversity, inclusion and, and equality panels that are being set up in every company and every business. Um, I think we need to be aware that they, they must be balanced. They must include the anti-white, anti-Western racism as mm. a form of discrimination that needs to be countered, as well as all the other forms of discrimination. You know, we need to not make it a crime for someone to say all lives matter mm. um, and for people not to be persecuted and attacked even for saying white lives matter mm. you know when I saw that banner going over the stadium mm. I can't help you know I did feel loved <laughs> that was my reaction I felt loved and for people who've, who have maybe just recently discovered that one of their family members believes that all white lives matter or that white lives matter and now they're f they've they or, or or one of the colleagues in their department believes that white lives matter you know and they they're shocked and horrified by that fact you know that by that belief hopefully listening to people like me listening to interviews like this they'll understand that that's not coming from a place of hatred or malice and it's not a counter 
attack on the Black Lives Matter movement. It's mm. it's a parallel justice movement. You know, the, the justice for the, the white victims of racism is, mm. is a parallel movement to the justice for black victims of racism. And we can do that together and we can be united together. We don't have to be split apart or divided in that. We can we can all be supportive of each other. Yeah, it's it's very interesting you say that. And then, you know, again, we come from, a, we work in a very woke industry and I see people sharing books like, you know. We used to work in a yeah. very woke industry. <laughs> I haven't been offered one gig for the last few months anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, uh-huh. Fuck them. You're in high demand. Yeah. <laughs> but, in other ways. But... So, for instance, sharing books, you know, like White Fragility, you know, white, you know, and spreading, you know, the mm. memes. and the, mm. It doesn't help, does it, really, as to... That particular book, I haven't read it, yeah. so I probably can't comment on it, but from what I've heard, mm. it's, it's upholding what I would call grooming gang ideology. Mm. So it's, it's upholding the idea that white people are trash, that mm. white people should be punished. Mm. That's from what I've heard of the book. But it's when, original sin. Yeah, yeah that it's an original sin to be born white. It's something that you cannot change, you cannot get rid of, mm. and that you have to atone for that yeah. in service to other people, in service to people of colour. And, and that is basically grooming ideology. See, this is why... You see, the thing with the White Lives Matter thing is that if it was being used in the way that you use it, I, I'd agree with you. Mm. But I think there are also people who use it as a kind of F you to the Black Lives Matter thing as well Uh, and this is the reason that we've opposed identity politics from the start because once you start going down this rabbit hole Mm. of going this is a special group and this is a special group and that's a special group and that's a but these people they're not special at all in fact they need then you get into trouble because eventually you know helen dale who we had on the show you know she said i remember saying this in in the 90s you know if you're going to have gay pride at some point, someone's going to go, we need straight pride. <laughs> straight pride, yeah. And this is the problem with, with all yeah, of this. Yeah. And this is the far left that you talk about. That's where it all comes from, this mm-hmm. this I- ideology of getting everybody into their own little group and now white people need to advocate for themselves. That's not, you know, you talk about history, mm-hmm. not a healthy recipe. No, no. <laughs> not a healthy recipe. A healthy recipe yeah. We need to go back to this idea that people are individuals, mm-hmm. you know, and you can be racist against anyone, including mm-hmm. white people. But, but this idea of pushing everybody into their own yeah, group, yeah. That's not going to work. Uh, you know, it's obvious that America hasn't been taught about the white slave trade. But even in the UK, a lot of people have never heard of the white slave trade. They've never heard of the Berber slave trade um, and the, you know, the Barbary slave trade and the Berbers in North Africa that attacked Europe for centuries, taking slaves away and mm. um, to be trafficked throughout um, Northern Africa into um, Asia and the, the Arab slave trade. You know, white slaves were very valuable to them. They were sort of seen as exotic, prized possessions and taken into harems and, you know, sold and used. And, mm. you know, so that, that has been happening and white people have been mm. exploited and, and enslaved. So to say that white people don't understand it, don't know what it's like, you know, I've got a, f- a friend that I know through Twitter and, um, I read her book and, and she was trafficked to northern Africa. Um, she My was grandfather was taken and... to Germany as a slave laborer. This, the, the way we talk about slavery is just completely historical. Yeah. It? We, mm-hmm. we don't take into account the Middle East and Arab tra- slave traders took more black slaves out of Africa than 
than the colonial powers did. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about the fact that slavery has been a constant through history. Got, like, look, people in my country, in Russia, were serfs until like 1870 or something. You know, the, as I said, slave laborers in Germany. Yeah. Like 70 years ago, yeah. right? The, the way we talk about it is ridiculous. We, yeah. and, and we pretend that it's this unique moment in history when yeah. in fact, yeah. right now is a unique moment in history. Having Even though there is more slaves than ha ever. Having in, said in that history. about taking statues down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I did post out a tweet that, you know, I was actually quite, I quite enjoyed seeing the group take down the Colston, yeah. so the Edward yeah. Colston statue, because he was a known slave trader. Yes. And, you know, you know there's, if you don't understand the history of Bristol, uh, that a lot of the money came through the, the slave trade and to making a lot of the schools, a lot of the buildings, a lot of the town hall type places and named after Edward Coulston, who did a lot of philanthropy and a lot of good things as well. But the um, people wanting to people in Bristol wanting to distance themselves from that history and wanting to make that break and make that symbolic gesture mm. of we don't support slavery. We do not mm. want that to be a symbol of who we are as a country. I, I can support that. And I did you know, as, a, as a, an artistic creative act you know, <laughs> in your industry, you could see, yeah. you know, these, there's a long tradition of this type of thing. Um, I'm not talking about taking down every statue in the whole country. This is a very different issue. But in selected cases where it's a, a public demonstration of a cleansing, if you like, mm. of getting rid of the part of the past that we no longer feel part of and we want to reject and we want to move away from, I can see that that could be healing for a lot of people, yeah. you know, but what do you replace it with? You do not replace it with a white trash, a concrete statue. Did you see the one that they replaced it no. with? No. No. It's, um, it's a Barry Gowan. It's a white overweight guy. <laughs> oh, in, that in one. Bin, oh, that's horrific. Right. Yeah. 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 So you, you don't treat it, you don't replace it with, with that. An insulting, yes. disrespectful, mm. hateful piece of art that is treating people like trash. You, you don't replace it with that. That yeah. you, you respect everybody and you value everybody. That that's what you need to replace it with something that shows that we are all important. Yes, and and we, we every life is precious. As you know, we, we have one more question that we always ask our, our guests at the end. But before we do, I just wanted to tell you that very briefly the story of how I first really kind of became, we both, I think, became awake to this issue in, in the way that we did. Because I read a little bit about it and then I saw uh, Sarah Champ Champion's article, mm. uh, the MP for Rotherham. And she wrote an article, I think, in one of the tabloids about this, uh, about this issue. Uh, and... Uh, the article was quite sensible, I thought, based on reading it. But she got horrible backlash. Uh, and this was probably a year into us doing trigonometry. And I emailed her to invite her onto the show. Uh, and she replied back saying she didn't feel comfortable mm. talking about it anymore. Mm. And that's when I went, okay, look, we're comedians. We're bothered about political correctness because it's a nuisance to us. And, you know, at some kind of conceptual level, we can think about... You know, yeah. it's a principle of wet and stuff. All of this bullshit, really. You know, abstract bullshit. But then when I got that email from her and I was talking to Francis on the phone about it, I was like, no, no. Political correctness yeah. is preventing a member of parliament yes. from standing up for people like you. Mm. Definitely. 
And that's when I was like, you know, this is a serious problem yeah. that we've got here. Yeah. And it's very difficult to talk about. And it's, you know, for an MP to be scared about it tells you everything about it. So I just want to say on behalf of everybody's listened and watched this, how courageous you are and how much we appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. And same to you as well. You're very courageous. And I really appreciate you. We're just stupid, Ella. <laughs> we really haven't thought really it through. Not, I've really got no not. idea what I've got <laughs> myself into. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But yeah, really, really appreciate it. Thank that. you so much. Yeah. And all power to you. And I hope the work that you do with the government leads to the positive change. So maybe actually before we ask you the last question, one thing maybe that is good for us to ask is if anyone's watched this or they've listened to this, yeah. you know, if they've been affected by it, what advice would you give them? If if they know someone who's been affected by it, what advice would you give them? If they don't know, if they're not affected personally and a family member isn't, but they just want to do something positive to, mm-hmm. you know, to prevent it from happening in the future, to help people who've been through it, yeah. what can people do? You know, I having... would say to all the people who are feeling like I am right now, mm-hmm. who are feeling doubly attacked, not just attacked from their attackers, but also from the left. I would say hang in there, wait, be patient, don't retaliate, don't think you have to go and fight for your country, fight for whatever, don't be violent, don't you know, set up armies and um, put yourself at risk. Um, be patient, hang in there, because the government will respond, the police will respond, they will wake up and... and I do have faith that they will understand that this is far left terrorism. You know, as it, as Antifa has been designated the terrorist organization in America, it, eventually that is going to happen here. For people like you, don't despair. <laughs> You're going to be in demand because you know how to create great education, great content to counter a lot of this far left extremism, whether that's in schools or in comedy clubs or whatever you you do. It's going to be needed. Just hang in there. Thank you. Hang in there. And Ella, the last question that we always end our interviews with is, what's the one thing that we're not talking about, but we really should be? I think we're not talking about how to recover from spiritual abuse Mm. and that there can be recovery and that you can heal and that people can get out of it and get up again you know you can be knocked down many many times you can be knocked down in many ways but you can always get up again and that's a really really powerful message to end the interview with ella thank you so much for coming if people want to find you on social media is it parlor that you're on now yeah i'm well i'm i'm on twitter but i'm not active on there but there's a lot they can read on my pinned tweets there's lots of threads on there they can read about all the different messages i'm putting out but yeah i'm on parlor now Ella Hill, Dr. Ella Hill. Dr. Ella Hill, well, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you very much for watching. Um, It's been a really emotional episode. And just to focus back on that, if at any point, if you've been affected by these issues or if something has happened to you along these lines, please talk to somebody about it. Um, And we will hopefully see you soon with another fantastic episode thank you very much you went really down and then straight back up again at the end you were just like you've been affected by this we'll see you with another brilliant episode um, <laughs> thanks very much thank you so much thank you
Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.